Hey guys, this week's show we are going to look at the very difficult subject for many investors and that is the banks and the big pay cut that dividend investors have just had robbed literally from their savings account. Dividends are cut very heavily. What can you be doing uh, to avoid that pain? And more importantly, why is it happening? Where are the lessons in there? And how can you make sure that you provision yourself for financial winter, which is where we are right now. Enjoy the show. See you in there. Hey there guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing show with me, your host Andrew Baxter, and as always, my faithful companion, Mr. Mitchell Laurentio. Thanks for having me on the show, Mr. Baxter. We've got a rather depressing topic to talk about this morning, and uh, look, it really is one that's probably affecting a lot of older clients out there, a lot of self-funded retirees, and that is the banks lose their shine. Well, I'm glad we're talking about the banks as opposed to the Brisbane Broncos, which is an equally depressing story. Equally, it, probably even more so, I reckon. <laughs> so yes, the banks lose their shine, and this is a really pivotal uh, time for a lot of investors because yeah, banks are the mainstay of many any superannuation accounts, a lot of self-funded retirees, self-managed super rely on that dividend flow, which also is fully frank. It's a very, very tax-effective strategy for people in super uh, to hold them. And unfortunately, um, the wheels have come off. Absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit about the dividend cuts that have occurred. We've had quite a number of corporate earnings come out on the big four banks over the last sort of month or so. Yep. What have we seen? Yeah, blood on the floor. Uh, it's been pretty ugly. Um, you know, if we if we if we think about the dividend flow uh, that we've seen, so imagine you've signed up for a job uh, or an investment, and your income gets cut by fifty percent. Not too good. Sixty-two percent, even worse, or maybe even a hundred percent. And that's the reality for a lot of bank shareholders. So first came off the rank was NAB, uh, which going back nearly uh, six or seven weeks ago. Now they cut their dividend to their shareholders by sixty-one percent, which had a bit of a shockwave through. Uh, those investors that rely on banks as a stalwart dividend strategy. Commonwealth Bank last week, numbers were pretty mixed, but 50% cut in dividend also. Uh, but the guidance that came out of Matt Coben was actually pretty good in terms of, okay, there's a bit of problem, but it's not so bad. However, that's all been sort of tilted on its head this week. We had Bendigo Bank report on Monday uh, and, uh, and Westpac also, and both have decided to withhold their dividend for the back end of the year for their investors, effectively you know, cutting dividend by 100%. Pretty painful stuff. It's if pretty brutal. a shareholder with your hand out, patiently waiting, having seen the share price drop down and, and looking forward to a dividend that's now gone. I mean, 100% cut in income all alone, just that statistic is really, really scary. It's a trick of a mention. I think self-funded retirees, self-funded supers in particular, are a demographic in our society that probably get the least um, uh, talk time or recognition or indeed representation. You know, people take the view, okay, you're rich, you've made money, you just have to sell one of your properties and you'll be fine. But it's not really fair. Um, you know, if you've worked hard all your life, squirreled your savings away, you run your own super, and all of a sudden, that's it, your income's cut off. Well, there's 60,000 self-funded retirees, I believe, in Australia. I mean, they want to leave an inheritance to their children. Yeah, I suspect that number will be a little longer than that in terms of numbers. But yeah, I mean, it's a substantial number of, of people that are there. Um, and and it, look, it comes as no surprise. Um, you know, our view on the banks, uh, and I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more about why some of this stuff has happened in a few moments, but your view on the banks is that they aren't necessarily the cash cow they were from a buy and hold perspective. Sure. In fact, we, we, we've talked about this you know, plenty of times when we've looked at the performance of banks over, say, a 10 or 20 year period. Really only the Commonwealth Bank is the one uh, that comes out showing some, some decent capital gain. Uh, and for anyone holding the others, they've been sort of wearing a lot of misery for a long, long time. And now they're sort of smack in the head uh, with the cut in dividend. Um, you know, hopefully it's, um, it's the sort of thing that can act as a wake up call for a lot of investors to realize that they're backing the wrong horse, the strategy isn't working, and maybe um, you, know, you could wait it out. That might be two years, three years, five years, 10 years, but no income for three, five, 10 years, not an attractive prospect. And you know, we've got to be a little bit sensitive about this too. It's not just hitting someone across the face with a wet fish saying you're backing the wrong horse. 
all those people have done is followed the traditional advice that's out there, buy and hold blue chip shares for long-term, live off the dividends, happy days. But the world has shifted. And so it's a question now of being able to pivot, which is a term we've covered plenty of times before, and look at different strategies to get that income flow back into your portfolio. Absolutely. I mean, dividends have been axed, quite frankly, and being able to trade them in a specific way using call options, which is what we do. Mm. And I know from the trading desk, we've got plenty of recommendations. We're pretty much holding all of the banks at mm. the moment and trading them in a specific way. Yeah, and that's interesting because we'll say, well, why are you trading them if you've got the view that you have? And the, the, the answer is simple. We're trading them. We're not holding them for the long term. We're in and we're out for some very, very specific targeted moves over a relatively short period of time because this is a market that, yeah, two or three months is a long-term view right now just with the state of the economy and what's going on. So I suppose it's a good chance to maybe dive in and have a look at where it's gone wrong for the banks. And it's not necessarily through any fault of their own. The banks are a really good barometer for our economy. And we're in a situation where, you know, if we take the Bendigo Bank as an example, you know, there are several factors here. Number one, um, generally business and the economy has slowed down, less transactions, less transaction revenues. Secondly, interest rates are very, very low. So that traditional spread between the borrowing and saving rate is actually very, very narrow, which doesn't really leave a lot of profit margin. When interest rates were six or seven percent, yeah, you could have you know, a couple of percent spread there, but with base rates at a quarter point right now, um, you know, you, you're lucky to be able to fudge half a percent out of it, which has made it very hard to earn money in the traditional way. Sure. If we look at lending, you know, a lot of people aren't lining up right now to borrow, and quite frankly, a lot of people cannot borrow. You know, one of the consequences that, that came out of the Banking Royal Commission was the introduction of responsible lending, which in all fairness is something that probably should have happened you know, 20 or 30 years ago, but let's park that to the side for the moment. Um, you know, and the criteria that have been brought in are much, much more vigorous, making it harder and harder for people. They can still borrow, but they can't borrow to the level that perhaps they were being they were expecting, or indeed not just the level they were expecting, but the level to support a price hike that we've seen in the property market over the last few years. We, in my opinion, at least, have got an artificially high property market. Yeah, it, it, it's been fueled by overseas buyers. It's been fueled by countless thousands of apartments that are there for overseas students to come study here. And as soon as those overseas buyers are out of the market and the overseas students don't come here. That's why you've got a one in seven vacancy rate in property, and that's biting very, very hard for landlords. It's crazy. Mm. And with that, obviously, they've, they've tightened their compliance when it comes to lending and whatnot. How does that affect the economy? The economy? Because if people aren't buying houses, if people aren't borrowing money for property, plant equipment, mm. businesses, whatever it may be, mm. it's got to be some stress. Well, that's right. And I mean, the banks have been more responsible with their lending, and they've had to. I mean, you're going to get into a situation potentially where you know, the next three years are going to be quite tough. And if you've got someone you know, that's got an eight grand a month mortgage, but their income's eight grand a month, uh, yeah, it, it's not the ideal position to find yourself in. And look, there's a level of accountability on both parts. The banks need to be responsible in their lending, but there's also a level of culpability on the part of the borrower. Sure. People oftentimes, and certainly prior to this, would lie uh, and fabricate you know, income and expenses in order to qualify for a loan. And when you had a roaring property market, it didn't really matter because if you had a 100% loan, and you couldn't really totally service that loan, but the property you bought for 600 grand, two years later is worth 700,000, you're okay because the jump in value of the property has given you that equity that you've built and it's taken a bit of pressure off. Sure. We're in a situation now where property prices certainly aren't moving up, they're starting to ease off a little bit. We're not collapsing, and I don't think we'll see that for a while, but we're seeing an ease off in that market. And so all of a sudden there's a risk that the bank could find itself in what's called a negative equity situation where they've loaned somebody you know, 600 grand, 
uh, on a, on a $700,000 property, but that property is only worth 550 grand now. So there's a hole and that person's liable to fill it. That's negative equity. They don't want to see themselves in that. I saw that in the uh, late 80s in the UK. Uh, yeah, it's an ugly situation. It's, it's not a situation you want to see anybody in. So the banks have been a lot more prudent on their lending. The problem is less lending, less revenue for the banks. And the knock-on effects, of course, have affected people that are expecting a dividend because the money's not there. But it gets worse. I know this, as we said, this could be potentially depressing and our goal here isn't to take an emotional journey with our clients, is to lay the pieces on the table and say, listen, this is why that's going on. Join the dots together and make sure you're ahead of this. Um, you know, you've got people on a payment holiday right now and if you dive in, say, and I, and I hold shares in Bendigo, it's, you know, it's the... So do our clients, we've got mm, a recommendation active on it now. Yeah, you know, Bendigo Bank is the most trusted bank in Australia and in all fairness, that's not that big a statement to make because most of us are reasonably widely mistrusted, but the Bendigo has preserved its brand very very strong business. And when you dive deep into their results, so they've got something like $6.7 billion of lending uh, that's that's on hold at the moment. So one in 10 of their loans is on a payment holiday. That's crazy. So 10% of the people that borrowed money aren't paying it back right now. Uh, and again, that's something that's filtered through and resulted in the drop in profit, 30% drop in profit, which again has flowed onto the dividend for, for investors. And they've cut the dividends as quickly by 100%, have Bendigo? Wow. And absolutely the right call. Wow. Um, yeah, and, and, and the, you can have a knee-jerk reaction to these things. And again, this is why it's so important to lay the pieces on the table and be objective about this and see what's actually going on. And I guess yeah, that's the benefit of having experience in this game, which you know, plenty of. So deciding to hold off on the dividend is very prudent and good balance sheet management. Better to keep that money in the business and just have a damp rag to put out any flames that might be coming than finding the cupboard bare. Makes sense. Very, very important thing to do. But you wonder, you know, if one in 10 loans aren't getting paid now, and in six months time, if JobKeeper is rolled back or unemployment spikes higher, what that then looks like in the real world where there's no payment holiday, you've got to pay your money back, you may have lost your job, and any kind of government support for you has been reduced, which probably should happen. But nonetheless, there's an impact that's coming down the line. So it's not just the fact that the dividend's being cut and the results have been pretty soggy. It's more the guidance and the outlook, which is a problem. Now, cutting the dividend, not a bad thing. Now, let's think about Harvey Norman for a moment, which has had a fantastic run through this period of it time. It has. And we'll talk about one of their competitors in just a few months' time. Um, Harvey Norman were due to pay a dividend as COVID broke out. Jerry Harvey's nobody's fool. There's a reason he's a billionaire. He's a very, very astute business operator and a very, very good CEO. An interesting guy too. I spent a bit of time at Magic Millions because he owns Magic Millions, the race days. Oh, there you good, go. Good fun to the market with him. He's a very, very interesting guy. Um, the As COVID broke out, Harvey Norman were due to pay a dividend and they said, no, we're not going to pay it. And investors in the same way were up in arms going, hang on, we're banking on this, this money. Um, and they didn't pay because they said it's not prudent to pay it out right now because we simply don't know what's coming. We're better off holding the money back. Oh, preemptive. And, and, and keeping it in the business in case things really do cut up quite nasty so that we can keep the damp rag on the flames. Sure. Now, as things happen, COVID has been phenomenal for their business. And so they've just paid not only the dividend that they held back, but a special dividend to top it up. There you go. But it was the right decision at the time. And I really suspect in the case of the Bendigo, what they've done is absolutely the right decision. Westpac have followed suit and they've cancelled their dividend. That's a bigger issue being a bigger bank and more widely held. Um, but nonetheless, it's probably the right thing to do under the circumstance. Commonwealth, much bigger bank, biggest bank in Australia. Um, 
they probably had a little bit more fat that they could work with there, sure. and hence why they've they've cut their dividend, but not to the extent that the others have. And I think in that in that space, the outlook's going to be pretty grim for quite a while. So if we then segue well, that, well, the responsible lending is is bleeding into the economy, and this is something that you touched on before. It's an extremely important thing. You have to have responsible lending, but all of the stuff that came out of the Royal Commission. Now you think about the Royal Commission; that seems a long time ago, and and really the damage for the banks. It's only really been reputational. There's been no significant financial penalty. You know, you look at Wells Fargo in the US where there's billions of dollars of penalties. That's a penalty that you're going to feel. And even a regulator here, ASIC, and this is by no means an ASIC bashing session, uh, ASIC had legal proceedings afoot with um, Westpac for their irresponsible or reckless lending, as they called it. And they've decided not to pursue uh, that particular court case and prosecution because they didn't feel it's the right time in the economic cycle to do it. Great for Westpac. On one side, you can go, Westpac's had a free pass. Shame on the regulator. On the other, you could say, well, look, that's actually probably not a bad thing. If these guys are struggling to keep the wheels spinning right now, having you know a, a fairly significant litigation and potential big fines coming along the way is just another thing that's going to affect the running of that business. And you can argue both sides. That's not the purpose of today. But the banks have become quite nervous of this responsible lending obligation. And as a consequence, not only are the checks and balances more vigorous, but they're now applying that responsible lending criteria that operates in the residential lending space to business lending as well. And it's not designed for that. And this is the bigger problem for our economy right now in that the banks aren't lending into business. So if you're looking to buy a new tractor, build a new warehouse, um, you know, extend uh, your property, uh, buy inventory, create new machinery, whatever it may be, the ability to not get liquidity or, or money from the banks is a chokehold on our economy at the time where we need our banks to be getting that money out into the economy and reflating the tires to get things going. This is a big economic session. I'm having an economics degree for you know, three years learning this stuff. We've kind of condensed it down to maybe five or six minutes, a lot going on in there. Plenty. But the banks must start lending to business to get the economy moving again, and they're not because they've got half an eye on the responsible lending legislation, which doesn't even apply to business lending. And secondly, you know, where is business confidence right now? Would you be happy lending a business 100 million to build a new distribution center when that business you know, potentially may be out of business You've got a distribution center and the state borders are closed, for example. How do you handle that? You have to be pretty careful. Mm. Where do you see that? Where do you see it going long term, say six, 12 months' time? I think you're going to see a little bit of pressure coming. The Reserve Bank uh, governor, normally fairly quiet, you wouldn't expect these kind of comments coming out of the RBA governor. Um, and it's an interesting one. Some of banks, some of the loans that banks make should fail. That was his position. Otherwise, you're not lending. Otherwise, you're not lending enough. That's exactly what his philosophy was. Some are going to fall over. And that's just the natural course of lending money. But if you've got nothing falling over, you're not lending enough. And I think that was a bit of a veiled dig to say, get some lending going on. And it'll be very, very interesting to see what both APRA and the RBA do to try and push that money flow. Because heck knows, if you're in business right now and you need access to funding, it's critical that the bank turns on the tap rather than hoarding the cash. Okay, now just to, to build on that, what's your long-term pro prognosis? Say, forget about six or 12 months' time. What about five years' time? Well, gee, I mean, six to 12 months is a long time at the moment. I know, I know. No, I think we're in for a rough trot. Um, you know, personally speaking, I think we are going to see a reasonable correction in the property market. And, um, and I'm not saying that because we advocate shares. I invest in property, as most people do. Um, the reason I think we're going to see that is, number one, our property market has been artificially stretched up by overseas buyers, principally from China, and we're not seeing any overseas buying. It's shut down by 96%, something like that. It's sure. catastrophic. 
overseas students coming back. Again, there seems to be quite an anti-Australian doctrine coming out of China. You know, you saw the uh, tax on wine that smashed the guts out of Treasury wines this morning. Down ten percent this down, morning. Yeah, it's now nearly twenty now. Believe it or not, that's wow. how quick that they moves, right? And um, the so so that rhetoric has been quite painful, and that will impact on our property market. But also, you know, if you've got more people unemployed, people can't borrow or they don't have job security, so they're less likely to want to upgrade a property. This is the time to sort of batten the hatches down, get the debt reduced if you can, and sort of write write this one out. So I do think we're in for a bit of a rough trot in the property space, and unfortunately that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. When you've got a market that's moving, people keep buying and they keep getting in for fear of missing out. If you've got a market that's not moving, there's no time frame close. There's no reason to buy today because it might be cheaper next year, and if it's not, it might be the same price. Meantime, you've got a year to get your finances in better shape. So I do think we're going to see some, some, some difficulty there, and that will weigh very, very heavily on the banks. If there's a pullback in property, you're going to see negative equity and you're going to see bad loan provisioning increasing, which is not good for dividends. If we don't see that, I just think the general level of borrowing will slow and that too will put a bit of a, a handbrake on the bank's uncanny ability to keep making money rain, hail or shine. They're, they're in a pretty precarious position, these banks. And yeah. uh, look, you feel for those people who rely on, on dividends from the banks mm. because it's not looking great. Now, to segue that into, say, something a little bit more positive, mm. you've just told me <laughs> a massive surprise is that JB Hyatt for example, is paying cracking dividends. What can these self-funded retirees or, or investors who like dividends, hmm. where can their stratosphere lie? It's interesting, isn't it? Um, you know, as I say, you can get down with the ship and be very stubborn and you know, wait this out, but it could be a number of years if you're going to wait it out. Something like JB Hi-Fi ordinarily wouldn't be on most investors' hit list for a fully franked dividend, yet it actually is fully franked. And it's just had a 40% jump in its profits and it's bumped its dividend on the back of it. So, you know, that ability to move ship and say, well, I've always invested in the banks. Well, yes, but it's not a positive longer, medium to long-term story there. Get in something that's moving right now. And that, that, that retail space and particularly online retail, which is only, gee, online retail is only about maybe, I think it's about 5% of JB Hi-Fi's business, believe it or not, is, is growing, surging. Kogan reported yesterday, you know, it's a huge surge in online sales. It's just, Great. just an online business. Um, but for JB or someone like that, or Harvey Norman that have been able to pay out a, an additional dividend, they're the places, if, if you're adamant that dividends are your game. Personally speaking, I wouldn't chase dividends uh, on the basis that if you invest for dividend, you know, here's the share price, it pays its dividend, the price has just dropped. Yes, you've got some money, but it's just gone from your left pocket to your right pocket. Your shares are worth less now. You know, and so you've got some income, but your assets are worth less. Crazy strategy, but heck, that's what most people see as the only way to play the stock market. Sure. Um, so instead, yeah, I mean, we talk about covered calls cash flow and demand our strategy, rather than hanging around for a 2.5-3.5% dividend for the year from a bank and run the risk of some capital loss, how about you make that in two weeks in a covered call trade on Santos? We just, yeah, exactly. We traded Santos last week, I think it was, or the week before. You know, the total trade was 5%, 3.5% of that was income that we yep. sold at 10 days. Absolutely. 10 days, 3.5% income, 5% overall return in, out, done, and getting repackaged and ready to go again. We're back in the stock this and, week. And, and a lot of people, well, that sounds hard work. And look, you know, breathing can be hard work if you want to see it that way. <laughs> you know, probably keep going, work hard, stay breathing. Sure. But, you know, the reality is that it's not that hard at all. It's with their easy trade function, click, done, happy days. One click I don't trading. how simple it can be, but you've got to be open to that. And, you know, for some people, unfortunately, uh, uh, listening to this podcast or seeing this across the various other social media platforms, They'll be there with their arms folded going, oh, wait it out, the banks have always been good. And if you're thinking they've always been good, I want you to think about how you drive your car. 
Do you spend your time looking at the windscreen at what's coming forward when you're driving along, what's coming towards you? Or do you spend your time dwelling, looking in the rear view mirror, dreaming about what used to happen or what you've just driven past? I hope you're looking forward, put it that way. Well, I certainly hope that too. And for investors, they have to be forward looking. And the forward looking view for the banks on any kind of metric in the current economy with the current RBA, uh, sorry, with the current regulatory guidelines on responsible lending, weaker property market, higher unemployment, it cannot look good. So do you stick around and prove me wrong or do you try something new and prove yourself wrong? And that's really, really confronting because admitting that what you're doing isn't working as well as it could is a huge crushing blow to your ego. And one of the things that we espouse as professional investors is this whole game has got nothing to do with ego or feeling. It's got to do with results. Do you want to be right? Do you want to be rich? Couldn't put it any sharper. You've told me that. Plenty of times. You know, and this is about backing the right horse. And one day, buying and holding banks for dividend may come back into the play. It's not there now, and it is very, very unlikely, based on what we're seeing right now, to be something that's a tenable, profitable working strategy for Australian investors. And forget about the franking credit. You're better off getting something that's unfranked and paying some tax because that means you're making money than holding something that's going down with the ship. And I really hope that message gets through. We're not trying to be arrogant. We're not wagging the finger saying we told you so. We're just saying take action now because things aren't going to change. It's our moral obligation. We've got to steward our clients in the best way possible. Exactly right. Look, we're coming to the end of the broadcast, AB. And look, I guess the message is get get educated and get equipped. But Mm. are there any final words to finish off the broadcast? It's, it's really confronting. We are in the most uncertain times I think a lot of people have seen for a period of time. And this is a particular problem for people that are coming into retirement because your earnings capacity is coming to an end and you're going to have what you've got and that's it. If you've got property in your portfolio, your yields have been decimated because your tenants haven't had to pay rent for six months. Um, you know, that's going to affect you. This is the time to be very, very nimble and refocus your strategy. And whilst that's confronting, ah, no, we've always done bonds. Yeah, we've always done a right out of property. Oh, yeah, you know, the Commonwealth, we love their dividend. That's nice, but it's not going to carry on working. And sometimes stepping out of your comfort zone to something that's less familiar is a must because if you don't, you're gone. Now, you want to put a really stark example of that? Say, I've always invested in blockbuster videos. It's a great business. You know, everyone gets their DVDs every Friday, probably two, three happy days. Why change anything? Well, why change? Because the world in which it operated changed. And if you stayed in that business, you were gone. And if you weren't in that business and you moved across to what's coming next, which in this case was something like Netflix, then you've made an absolute mozza. It's not about being stubborn. It's not about always doing what you've always done. You know the saying, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. Well, if you always do what you've always done in holding bank stocks, you're not going to get what you always got because there's no dividend coming. Don't wait for the surprise and go, oh, I wasn't expecting that. You've been told it now from someone that's a hard-nosed professional trader. It ain't my first rodeo. Listen to what the message is on here because, as you say, our goal is to be able to steward our clients and get them in front of this so that they can continue to enjoy regular income and manage risk as opposed to going down with the ship. It's a fairly direct message, but it indeed is an important one because this is people's future that we're playing with right here. Get fired up on it, Mitch, because this is what drives us day in day out. We love what we do. We believe in what we do. We help our clients. And it's not our job to convince other people. You've got to realize this for yourself. And if you're not, you're wearing blinkers. And that ain't going to end well. Well, here you go. Thank you, Mr. Baxter. It's been an absolute pleasure. Plenty of good information out there, as hard-hitting as it was. So thank you very much. Pleasure as always, Mitch. Well, there you have it, guys. Plenty of controversy in there. Make sure that message sits well with you. Take action. Don't go down with the ship. More importantly, give us a review and a rating, and we'll see you in the next week's show.